welcome to today's show and with me I've got Ryan Williams and Ryan has traveled all the way from Santa Barbara not to see me but to see his family in Durban and we met at the local brew pub here in Kloof, Stump Nose and Ryan has got some interesting developments for the taproom industry but Ryan started I mean, Ryan is a South African who now lives in the States. Um, and maybe tell us a little bit about your journey. Everybody wants or is thinking about leaving South Africa. <laughs> you have done it. Um, you're a trained engineer. Um, where did you study engineering in South Africa? Yes, hi, Holger. Um, I did study in South Africa at PE Technicon. You know, what's interesting is actually coming back this time is, you know, every single time I, I come back, there's always two or three, like, snippets of information that I can take with me. And, you know, certainly the sad snippet this time is, you know, there's a lot more people, you know, closer to home that are talking about, uh, you know, moving and, 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 you know, emigrating. And, you know, the reality is, um, I mean, my trips to South Africa, I always enjoy. I'm always, always South African at heart. I love coming back. Um, it's a bit disheartening. And, you know, the reality is, I mean, there's trouble all over the world. You know, you go to the U.S., you've got, you know, you've got sort of other political climate uh, there. Um, so those people that are thinking about, about emigrating, um, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Uh, I'll say that I've been uh, very fortunate. You know, in, in all fairness, I left uh, South Africa in my early 20s. Um, I did the army, I went to college and... Um, I guess I was, I just felt a bit concerned about where the country was going, you know, which was part of the issue. And the other part, just to be real candid, um, I just felt my life at that age, I felt there was just so much more to explore. And um, I wanted to be one of the backpackers, you know, that could, uh, that could travel abroad. And uh, the way my life was shaping out, I'd be living in, you know, Port Elizabeth uh, for the rest of my life and, you know, a white picket fence and 2.4 children. And that, I just felt there was so much more to life. There's no white picket fences in Port Elizabeth, they're all barbed wire. Barbed <laughs> wire, no, I'd say that for sure. And limpet mines and everything else. <laughs> and then, yeah, your, your backpack took you to London. You, you travelled to quite a few countries. Um, how did you survive on the road? You know, it's easy back in those days. Uh, when I first went to London, uh, this was actually before South Africans could actually legally work there. So my first job working in London was at a small little English pub, and I think I was earning... Three pounds fifteen an hour or something like that, and I mean in pubs you don't get tips. So, you know that was an interesting uh, three or four months for me. Uh, following that, uh, we, uh, the South Africans, you know, could actually get uh, legal work visas. So that certainly uh, opened up the opportunity where you could actually, you know, go on and get involved in the catering trade, uh, which is essentially what I did for many years. Uh, but you know, through my travels, uh, there were at two or three different instances over a period of about seven or eight years where I had the intent to actually move back to South Africa. And I actually did move back to South Africa uh, two or three times. I stayed here for anywhere from, you know, six months to a year. Absolutely loved it. But again, I just felt I need, I need to be leaving again. And, um, you know, my experiences living here again were great. But um, it just got to the point that I just felt my life was... I just felt that my life was abroad. And um, from living in the UK, I traveled to Canada, moved back to South Africa, went back to the UK. And 
from the UK back to South Africa. Then I moved to Canada. Um, I lived with my then partner, now ex-wife, for about six months. And strange enough, we were actually kicked out the country. We were given seven days to leave, uh, to leave the country, which was uh, really challenging. We were in Canada and we were driving across to the US so we could go back into Canada and get another, you know, three months or a sort of six month uh, sort of entry visa. And we got stuck in sort of no man's land. So the Canadians let us through, the Americans didn't let us through, and we were stuck in that, in that sort of no man's land. And they grilled us for about seven or eight hours. Finally, um, the Americans sent us back to the Canadians. Canadians gave us seven days to leave the country. And after we'd been there, I think my ex-wife had been there for uh, close to a year. I'd been there for about six months. So, she, I mean, we had a full house. We had, you know, the kids were in, involved in school, everything. In seven days, we had to pack up. Um, so from there, we packed up. We moved to uh, Budapest, Hungary. And I won't describe uh, uh, Budapest, Hungary too much, but I think, you know, with Hungary, you've got, uh, like, you've got two different experiences if you go there as a tourist i think it's great but we went there to actually go and work and uh you know part of that relationship that we had it involved uh, working with a sort of usa-based company so our lifestyle was very much based around the sort of u.s time zone so our typical day we'd wake up at maybe you know sort of one two o'clock in the afternoon we'd go out for a breakfast or a lunch we'd come back We'd go out for dinner and then our work would start at, you know, maybe sort of five o'clock in the afternoon and go through till, you know, maybe two or three o'clock in the morning. So that lifestyle was really intense. Um, we were supposed to go to Budapest for about six weeks. Seven, eight months later, we were still there. My ex-wife felt pregnant. So we were presented with an opportunity of either we sort of pull the plug and we go to the US and find a way to make it work there or we have... A Hungarian baby. And uh, you chose? <laughs> I, went, I think it's pretty obvious for sure. <laughs> yeah, and how did you manage to get a, a visa or green card for the US? I'll tell you what was interesting. Um, the first time we actually uh, went into the US, we went in as, as a visitors. And on a tourist? On a tourist visa, yeah. And um, the first time we got in, it was just after 9-11. So the security at the port of entry was absolutely insane. I think it took us about three or four hours to clear customs. I mean, they went through every single piece of clothing that we had. I mean, the whole country was obviously on, on, on like lockdown. So that was a, our sort of introduction to America, should I say. From our introduction, we uh, traveled around, you know, certain states in the US uh, trying to find places to live. Mm. Uh, we ended up back in Los Angeles in a, a city called uh, Northridge. And at that stage, we found a school for the kids. We found a house and, you know, life was peachy. We were going to be settling in, 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 you know, Northridge, which is a small little city within Los Angeles. And we went out for dinner with a friend of ours on the Friday night. And she gave us an option of, well, you know, for the weekend before you guys, you know, move into your house, you can either go down to Long Beach or you can go up to Santa Barbara. That sounds like a soapy. Absolutely, with good, uh, with good old Kelly. And uh, when I was living in South Africa, uh, me and my mom, I mean, that was our jam. Every day, religiously, we'd sit down, we'd watch the soapy Santa Barbara. That's just what we did all day, every day. So based on that, I said, oh my gosh, let's go up to Santa Barbara. You know, maybe I'll meet Kelly, uh, who knows. So 
we left, I think, on the Saturday morning, and the drive up the coast, up the California coast, is just absolutely magnificent. And as you get into Santa Barbara, you go up a little hill, and then as you begin to go down, you see all these palm trees, and there's a nice little point with a nice fancy house, and these palm trees, and the waves are sort of lapping down. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And then uh, when you get into Santa Barbara, the whole sort of beach drive along the beach is just covered in palm trees, and it was just absolutely magnificent. And the work that we had at that time afforded us that, you know, we could really work wherever we wanted to. So instead of going to Northridge, which is really, it's not really my cup of tea, we settled in uh, Santa Barbara and uh, we've never looked back. But I guess just to answer your question um, in terms of how we were actually able to settle there, there's a reciprocity agreement with the UK and with the US that if you have a business in the UK, you can bring that business over to the US, you know, with the idea that you're going to employ people, etc., etc. So that is what we did. Um, we invested in the US um, based on the UK company that we had. You know, we employed people, etc. And then with that, it leads to you obtaining an E2 investor visa. Okay. So, um, in fact, at that stage, the my wife was a UK citizen. I was still a South African citizen, but we were not married. So she actually got the UK investor visa, and I was, you know, basically the glorified husband or the glorified partner. And it took me about a further year to year and a half, you know, for us to go through our process and actually get married um, before I could actually uh, like legally stay in, um, in the US. During that time, we went back to South Africa and upon my entry into the US, they grilled me, they took me aside and they put me in handcuffs and they walked me through the airport in Los Angeles in handcuffs. I felt like an absolute criminal. Mm. Um, again, they grilled me for maybe seven or eight hours and they were essentially going to kick me out of the country because I had no legal recourse. There was no reason for me to be in the U.S. I wasn't married to my partner. Um, the E2 investor visa was in her name. And as a visitor, you can only stay in the U.S. for so long. And right at the end, um, the immigration officer, he asked me if, if I had anything to say. And I swear by the grace of God, I must have rattled off a two and a half page essay that literally felt like it was a gift of God. The stuff was just coming out my mouth so smooth that even the immigration officer would stop me at certain times and say, well, hang on, don't say that, you know, maybe say this. And he was actually helping and guiding me, you know, through this whole process. So, you know, I, I think I ended up and it's my always, it always has been my dream to live in the US or something along those lines, you know, full stop. Within an hour and a half, they had let me out. I got out of Los Angeles airport at about 7.30 in the morning. And the immigration guy, I think he gave me one month. He said, Ryan, we're gonna give you one month. You need to get your stuff together. So within that month, um, we're able to get married, go through the whole process. And, um, you know, from there, it's just been a sort of gradual process. So for those of you that are thinking about immigrating, it's not an easy process. You know, there are certain ways that you can do it. Uh, we did it through the E2 investor visa. And then from that, it can lead to your green card, um, you know, which is a way that we actually explored. And at the moment now, I've been fortunate enough, um, enough to get a green card. I have permanent residency in the US, but still a South African at heart. Mm. And any idea how much money you have to invest? Gosh, going back in those days, 
I think it was maybe 250,000 US dollars or 350,000 US dollars. Not too sure. Mm. Nowadays, it's probably a lot more. Yeah, probably. Okay, and the business, tell us a little bit about the business you had then. Sure. And Ryan's not drinking a beer, I don't know. I know, I should be. I'm sure it's 12 o'clock somewhere, actually. <laughs> so, I've always been involved with complementary health, with, uh, with alternative medicine, uh, dating back, you know, from my days in the UK. And what actually prompted us to move to Budapest, Hungary, was... Uh, one of the manufacturers that we were involved with, which is a biofeedback medical manufacturer, he actually lived in uh, Budapest, Hungary. And he invited us to go and live with him, you know, to learn the business, uh, which is essentially what we did. Um, and we got involved in a very high level um, importing, distribution and manufacturing of, of uh, biofeedback medical uh, devices. You know, uh, they would range anywhere from $15,000 to about $20,000. That's what we were doing in Canada. That's what I was doing here in South Africa a few times that I came back. It's what we were doing in uh, Budapest, Hungary. And it's that opportunity that actually afforded us to move to the U.S. as well. And uh, these machines are, you said earlier, are for doctors and for professionals. Yeah, they're for professionals predominantly. However, you know, we do get the individual health and wellness seeker or the home user that we're actually purchasing it themselves. Um, and we were very fortunate. I mean, you know, I think in some ways other stars aligned that by the time we moved to the U.S., everything was prime. They were computerized uh, testing mechanisms. And at that stage, the whole concept of your home-based computer was, you know, really taking hold of everyone. People knew how computers worked or what the functions were, but didn't really understand the full scope and the full sort of capabilities of computers. And then we come along with this really cool computerized system with straps that you attach to your body and people were just blown away by it. And we had fantastic, you know, fantastic success with it for many, many, many years. So this sounds like it was pre-Steve Jobs and the iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, actually. Actually, now that I... Gosh, it makes me seem old. <laughs> yeah, it does, it does seem... I mean, just talking about computers and not understanding them, not really knowing what it's all about or what they're there for, except spreadsheets. Yeah, this changed so much. I mean, I just always say to people, you know, if I told you 15, 20, or I guess maybe now 25 years ago that uh, you can, are you going to be walking down the street, you know, with a handheld device that you can talk to, you know, anyone in the world, they'll, they'll think you're absolutely nuts. Yeah. But I mean, you look at where we are now with technology, it is progressing at such a huge rate. It's just incredible. It is, eh? and I mean, if when I started exploring the internet and emails and all that, I mean, nobody would have ever believed that a bottle store manager would have access to a computer and email and all that sort of thing. I mean, now they don't use email, they use WhatsApp or mm -hmm. mess instant messaging, but, you know, everybody's got a device in their hand, eh? Absolutely, and then of course... I'm sure you remember back in the days when you get the emails from the Nigerian prince of whatever that he's got $126 million to invest and you get all those sort of spam emails. And strange enough, I actually had a friend of mine from Quebec. He actually bought into this. I was at a conference. I'm going back, you know, many, many years. He pulls me aside because I'm an African, you know. And in his, in his French accent, he says, hey, Ryan, I've got a great opportunity for you. I said, oh, really? Tell me about it. So he goes on to tell me about this Nigerian prince 
who's got like millions and millions of dollars that he, you know, is basically stuck in this bank and he really needs my help for this. So I said, John Paul, you know, this is like a scam. He said, no, 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 no. Anyway, through the conversation, he shared with me that he had invested up to 15,000 US dollars to date. And this is going back, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And the funds were just about to, re- just about to be released. He needed, he needed another $10,000 more from me. I said, you've got to be insane. This is like an absolute scam. And, you know, you sort of get those emails. And I think, you know, back in those days, because email and technology was so new, it, it, was, it was so believable. I mean, my stepfather as well. He gets one of those emails. Oh, my God, we're going to be rich. We're going to be rich. And, um, you know, fast forward a few years, people are a lot more wiser. And, you know, we're aware of these sort of scams that are going on. But nonetheless, you know, I'm sure, they, I'm sure there's still one or two suckers uh, here and there. Yeah, I can, unfortunately, mom, they caught my mom. And we eventually took the, the numbers off the back of her credit card so that she couldn't share the details with scammers because she fell for it twice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that's and and then you trans you, you transformed your business into an app machine. Into an app machine, is it, yeah. Is that the right sequence of events? Yeah, you, you know, pretty much. Um you know, as I said, uh, we were fortunate enough that you but, know we were selling. I must say that does sound a little bit like a scam. Absolutely. You know, I I would certainly agree with you. The concept that we had though was I mean, back in the days, you know, selling a fifteen or twenty thousand dollar item was, it was easy because you know people had these extended lines of credit. You could put it on a credit card, absolutely, you know, absolutely no problem. And then two thousand seven, two thousand eight, the U.S. had a major economic meltdown, and of course, you know, there we are sitting with a fifteen or twenty thousand dollar product. People didn't have lines of credit, and our company went from you know sort of hero to zero within uh, within like six months, and. I always say, you know, in every obstacle, there's always the opportunity there. And at that stage with my ex-wife, I'd become an ordained minister um, through a church of some kind. And I was actually at a guided meditation. And during that time, I was able to visualize how I could take a $15,000 product and condense it into a mobile application. Mm -hmm. Completely new, completely out of the box thinking. And I got home and, you know, when you can just sort of see things so clearly and so clearly in your mind, you can, you know, you can visualize it. That night I stayed up till about three in the morning with, you know, A4 scraps of paper and I'm drawing these diagrams and I'm doing this and I'm, you know, doing that. And as I'm drawing, I feel like this thing is really beginning to, you know, to sort of take shape. And it took us about eight months to develop. Um... And, you know, the day we launched it, I think it was in 2011, 2012, we had $20 to our name. I basically hadn't worked for about eight months, um, put all my time and energy and resources into this dream. Because at that stage, there was no blueprint to follow. Nobody had done anything remotely close to what I had done. So it was just a dream that I was following. And, you know, again, what was really interesting is... At each certain obstacle that I had in my life, there would be somebody that would actually appear through an email channel or through a friend or something like that where they would be able to, you know, sort of help me 
and you know sort of guide me and that was really exciting and to me that just gave me the, the sort of confirmation or the encouragement that I don't know what this thing is going to look like I can sort of visualize it but I just need to move forward with this so eight months later $20, uh, $20 to our name on Memorial Day we released our promotional video I think it was about half past four five o'clock in the morning I went to bed and I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning and the first thousand dollar sale came and I thought, oh my gosh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You sold a net for a thousand dollars. Well, at that stage it was $497, but if you buy two, there was a discount or something like that. So yeah, the first sale that we came, the first sale that we got in was like $997 or $998 or something like that. You must have felt like the Nigerian prince who, yeah. who scored $50,000 from. I tell you, let me tell you, after like seven or eight months of just not knowing what to do, you know, how to get it done, it was it was really encouraging. So just but just explain that a little bit. You released a promotional video where on social media? Um, well, you know, there's one thing that I've, I've always been a very uh, strong believer in, just in terms of even before I I got involved with computers. But if you look at computerized technology, to me, you've got the interface and the database. Interface and database. Interface is, you know, essentially what you're looking at, you know, what you like, the user interface, the, the pictures and the graphics. And then the database is like the engine, it's the nuts and bolts behind everything. And from day one, uh, when I started working, I always felt very strongly in a database concept, you know, that we need to store our customers' information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back in those days, you know, everyone would, you know, uh, they'd take an order from someone and you know, they would discard the information. But for me, I actually kept literally every single piece of information. We created an Excel spreadsheet. So by the time we actually released it, uh, you know, we had an active email list of five to 8,000 different doctors and, you know, different practitioners. And that's typically like how our business still runs now. We have a very large email list and, you know, we do email marketing campaigns and affiliate programs and that, you know, and that kind of stuff. So that is how we released the video. Um, just briefly about the app, that app that we developed was a, um, it incorporated a sort of energetic assessment protocol where it uses um, the device's energetic frequencies or frequencies and tones to help, uh, to help get the body back into balance. More designed for your alternative medical market, um, but you know, we've been fortunate enough that over the last uh, seven or eight years we've done, you know, we've done very well and our practitioners have got absolutely fantastic results and every month you know we're upgrading we're updating and we have you know new software that comes out and um, it's been a real journey for me uh, but definitely that was my my sort of aha moments is you know after you know sort of seven or eight months actually you know seeing something come you know come uh, like come to fruition where really if you don't have a blueprint to follow it's like it's pretty daunting. It's pretty much, I think, like I explained with the beer book, if you don't know how to print a book or where to start, and uh, you don't have a proper vision, you need somebody else to hold your hand. Yeah, absolutely. And in this case, you had this clear vision. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then, are we ready to talk about what you're up to now? Absolutely. Um, so, so you had a vision. You sat in a bar. Like most stories start... <laughs> in a pool bar in Mozambique, yours was in Santa Barbara. In Santa Barbara, correct. So, I guess, it, I guess, uh, let me sort of preface it and say uh, Santa Barbara is a very um, sort of concentric 
rich environment of, you know, restaurants, uh, you know, wineries and, you know, breweries. It's a very, I, I believe, and I stand to be corrected, there are more restaurants in Santa Barbara per square capita than anywhere else in the world. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm really not too sure. But, you know, we have a lot of the people from Hollywood and everyone else. A lot of those people, uh, they live there. And then uh, uh, Santa Barbara is a great is a great sort of weekend, uh, weekend getaway for the people living down in uh, Los Angeles. So the focus is on high-end, you know, cuisine. And then a few years ago, well, a few, 9, 10, 11 years ago, a movie came out called Sideways. And that was shot in the Santa Barbara County area which really highlighted the wineries in the Santa Barbara area. And as a result, the whole wine industry in Santa Barbara just you know, absolutely exploded. Um, and then following the wineries, the breweries exploded as well. I'm fortunate enough that a lot of my friends are involved with the wineries. Um, you know, so I got a bit of a palate for wine. And, uh, you know, your typical weekend is you, uh, you'd go to a wine farm, you know, you'd do your wine tasting and then you go to a friend's house and you have nice glasses of wine, etc. And that was the, I think that was my, my sort of introduction to, you know, good wine, I should say. You know, like obviously coming back or obviously coming from South Africa back in the days when you just had, you know, SAB, you got your choice. You got Castle. You got your Black Label, and you know that's about it, kind of thing. You had your five or six beers as an, you know as an option, and it was only from living in Santa Barbara and being exposed to the different wines and the different sort of palettes and the you know and the different taste sensations that you have, it really t- it really turned me on to you know onto that. You know, fast forward maybe a a, a a year or two later, there was a fantastic brewery literally just around the corner from uh, from where I live, and. Most of my work is done from home, and by 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, my big excitement for the day is maybe moving from the bedroom to the lounge to the kitchen kind of thing. So by 12, 1 o'clock, my feet are getting a bit itchy, and, oh, let me go to the brewery and have a beer and get inspired and, and you know, do some work there. So it ended up, I would go to the brewery, you know, in the afternoon, I'd have a drink or two and just sort of watch the people go by. And, you know, as I watched them go by, there was this big, this big beer board. It's like a big white beer board, which is called Buy a Friend a Beer. I'd never heard of it before. Absolutely foreign. But more often than not, people would go there. They'd buy the friend a beer. They'd write the name on the, they'd write the person's name on the board. And then, you know, within a two month period, the person could come and essentially claim that beer that had been bought for them. And I used to watch this thing, you know, like tick over. Specifically, the brewery that I'm mentioning is um, Island Brewing Company, which is actually very, it's very close to my heart. And, and it's actually very close to my house as well, come to think of it. <laughs> but they had this thing nailed down and they've been doing it for about 15 years. And at any one time, there's maybe 50, 60, 70 names on that board. Anyway, I looked at it, great concept, great concept, have a beer, do some work, great concept, have a beer, do some work. And I kid you not, like maybe six months later, it just dawned on me that I could take that concept and, you know, sort of digitize it and essentially, you know, turn, you know, turn it into an app. Part of the inspiration is, again, coming from South Africa. My family is still here. They live in uh, Durban North. And... There's always an excuse for my birthday. You know, oh, hey, Ryan, the, the presence on the ship. 
Hey Ryan, happy birthday. Hey Ryan, did you get my present? Oh, it must be lost on the post kind of thing. So, you know, it was the sort of constant joke and the constant banter about, you know, being being abroad, I, I snooze, I lose. Maybe if I was living in South Africa, maybe I'd get a meal or I'd get a, I don't know what you get for birthdays at, at uh, our age. But, um, you know, being abroad, you've got your limitations with your family. But of course, you, you turn it into a, you know, sort of friendly banter. But then I started looking at the buy a friend a beer board, and then I started looking at my birthdays and my miscelebrations. Maybe I've just got engaged. I thought, hey, you know what? We can actually combine the two. So as I begin, as I began to to sort of work through that, um, it began to make sense to me that you know we can take this concept of being able to buy a friend a beer. We can we can digitize it. We can make it global, and then my sister and my mom have absolutely no excuse, but they can now buy me a beer in good old, in good old uh, Alexander Barbara. So I've been able to achieve a few things. I can now get free drinks from my family while they're living here, which is good. And secondly, we've created such a cool novel way for friends to interact with one another, to support one another. Um, it's really exciting. So we launched it. It's called Gado Get Your Drink On. The website is getyourdrinkon.me or gydo.me and it's evolved. So again, you go back to the software development. As I said, I've been involved with apps for about seven or eight years now. This app took me about 18 months, the longest amount of time I've ever taken to build an app. It cost me an arm and maybe half a leg as well. But um, again, the journey was just so instinctual and Again, everything just came at, you know, it sort of came at the right time. We had so many issues with, you know, like how can we accept credit cards? That stage I started doing some research and then we found this great merchant company. And typically again, you know, with these big merchant companies, they just, they couldn't be bothered to give you the time. Of the, uh, they could not be bothered to give you the time of day. But there's one company I found, you know, within a week or two, I was talking to the lead engineers they were giving us um, private access to sort of beta software that, you know, a group, a very small group of, of uh, developers had access to. And because of that, we were able to test, we were able to refine and, you know, sort of integrate their payment processing into our software, which, again, you, you know, without the sort of early access, we'd probably still be another, you know, sort of six or eight months, you know, sort of down the line. Uh, so it's just evolved, you know, over that period of time. And... If I go back to the brewery, to Island Brewing Company, um, they've been absolutely instrumental with actually helping us to, you know, to go through the uh, to go through the whole testing process. Um, they've helped us. They've guided, you know, they've guided us. We've been able to give them uh, feedback, etc. And to put that into perspective, maybe I'll say seven or eight months ago, maybe I thought everything was done. We're ready. I sit down with them. I'm just about to get them signed up. Truth God, the first button doesn't even work. But, oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, so you go, you know, you do go through that process and we, we have been through it. And it's interesting because we've been meeting with this one founder, or not a founder, a, a, a venture capitalist. I, I met him uh, maybe two months ago, part of the discussions about, you know, raising capital, etc., at the end, he said, okay, so you have a good set of programmers. I said, yes. He said, can I get their names? I said, no. <laughs> because, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's so difficult to find, to find good programmers. 
And typically when you find a good programmer, you sort of really need to hang on to them. But then typically when you have that good programmer, then everybody wants to, you know, everybody wants a piece of them. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was funny. But, you know, a, again, what was encouraging is that he was telling me that he was working with another group and they had gone through, I think, you know, four or five different groups of, of our programmers. Because it is literally, you know, sort of trial and error. You go through guys, sometimes they work out, you know, sometimes they don't. In the instance that they do work out, you know, what great, you, you know, you've got a great guy, you then, you know, you then sort of look after them. Yeah, so tell us, I mean, I find this absolutely fascinating that I've been in the drinks industry for more than 25 years and I've never seen this buyer friend appear bored. So first of all, I want to thank you for sharing that with us. More than happy. I'm, I'm always on a mission to help uh, business owners create community. I believe creating loyal customers and that would be a wonderful way to do that. But obviously now you've created the app and it can do that virtually. So they don't even have to go and buy a blackboard that they have to write on. I still like the original analog system. Absolutely. I think it's great. Um, but they can actually use your app. Does it cost anything? Um, it does not cost anything, no. Um, in fact, in South Africa, it doesn't actually cost anything at all, even, even from the user side or, or from the venue side. Um, you know, so that's certainly a benefit. But I think you know, just going back to the buying a friend a beer board, it, it really, it, it's such a novel way you know, for, for, so many, for so many different reasons. Mm. Um, a, I have you know, see, you know, seen the success of it. From a winery or a brewery, you know, by having that board, it certainly does. It, it builds your, I, am, I like your loyal customer base. Typically, when you buy a friend a beer, I can almost guarantee you that friend is not going to come in alone to redeem that mm. beer. You know, so you do have your increase in sales. And then, you know, the other benefit is you're actually getting the money up front. Mm. And for all you know, the guy might not be there, really you know, for the redeem. two months. And then they don't redeem it. And you take your gift cards in the U.S., um, there's billions and billions of dollars in gift cards that have not been redeemed, you know, e you know, each and every year. And the gift card company keeps it, not the not the store. To put that into perspective, Starbucks. I stand to be corrected on the exact amount here, but Starbucks, they made, uh, I'm thinking, 129 million dollars in interest on the capital that is in their Starbucks card. Mm. 129 million dollars interest. That's just insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. So the voucher does expire. Um, it it does expire. Flat. Yeah, it, it goes, flat. goes flat. Free beer goes flat after um, it goes flat after two months. Okay. Yeah. So you know, going to the app, it's one thing to be able to buy a friend a beer, you know, in the brewery. But the reality is, you have to be in the you know in the actual brewery. I don't know whether you've ever tried to call a restaurant or you know call a um, a bar or a brewery and say, hey, you know what? Uh, here's my credit card. There's a there's my mate, he's coming, you know, there in the next 10 minutes or he's coming there, you know, next week. I'd like to buy him a beer or I'd like to buy my mom a bottle of champagne, you know, my folks a bottle of champagne. They're celebrating their, you know, their anniversary. It's an absolute nightmare to get done. It's, n it's, not, it, it's not an easy process. It's not something that I've tried. You know, you should try it just to, I mean, if you really want to pull out your hair, which I think, I don't know how much hair you really want to pull out at this stage, but, you know, it's just tough. It really is. So, again, that gave us uh, uh, the inspiration to find a way where we can digitize it, where you can create a sort of social media uh, sort of following as well. So, I mean, literally with one, two, th maybe four or five, you know, clicks of a button, you can buy a friend a beer or a bottle of champagne or a cocktail or a glass of wine 
at any participating venue, you know, anywhere in the world. Mm. At the moment now, we just focused on Santa Barbara, and then we've obviously are launching now in 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 uh, South Africa. Mm. The reason why South Africa, I am South African. I've been here for about four or five weeks, and I figured, hey, you know what? I really enjoy the beers here. And I tell you, the craft beer industry here in South Africa is absolutely booming. So that was really, you know, really encouraging as well. And I've seen the success that we've had in Santa Barbara with this. I've seen how the breweries have enjoyed it. I mean, some of the breweries are making up to like $1,500 extra a month just from, you know, just from, uh, just from using this app. Mm. The, the concept, the... The psychology of being able to, you know, give the gift is pretty powerful as well. There's such a big difference between, you know, between me giving you, you know, $20 and say, yeah, you know, go buy yourself a beer or actually giving you a nice cold beer, you know, from your favorite brewery and say, hey, you know what, this beer is on me. There's such a huge, you know, a, a sort of huge difference with that. Mm. Um, and that's why a lot of the users enjoy actually using it because, you know, when you're buying that friend, that beer... A, you know, giving them cash, they could, you know, go to the laundromat or, you know, go give it to their kids to go and get ice cream or something like that. You know, whereas in this manner, you are really, you know, you are being supported for your efforts and you are feeling good about the gift that you are actually buying your friend. Yeah. Well, I think you can also tell your parents that if they want to buy you a gift, they can just order on Amazon mixed box of South African wine or something. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But so seriously, if you if I'm a taproom owner, own a brewery, so I can do everything online. I can sign up, go to the website, sign up and join as a vendor. You can. Uh, so what we've done, we've actually partnered uh, with Zappa. Okay. Uh, so we've actually integrated the Zappa payment processing. Uh, into our application. So essentially, you would go to the App Store if you've got an Android, you know, the Google Play Store. Um, you download the app as a new venue. You would click on the I'm a new venue sign up. Part of our security is that we need to authenticate you through Facebook, you know, because otherwise I could have a Facebook account for maybe for Stumpnose as an example. Um, and I could essentially take, you know, business away, you know, from, uh, like from Stumpnose. So when the venue signs up, they need to be the, admi uh, the administrator of their Facebook page. So we authenticate the venue, you know, through Facebook. Interesting. Then they enter in their Zappa merchant ID and location ID. They set the prices of the beers that they want to offer and the wines and the cocktails. So in their case, they might only offer one, two or three beers. Entirely up to them. Yeah, for okay. sure. And then, um, you know, part of the whole sort of development is you know, listen to the breweries and listen to the wineries and trying to understand, you know, their needs. And, you know, one thing that they were looking for is ways to get, you know, uh, is for ways to get new customers, you know, uh, to basically, you know, sort of come into their brewery. So with that, during the sign-up, uh, we created a, a one-time offer. They pre-populated maybe, you know, seven or eight, uh, like seven or eight different options. Um, as an example, you can buy one drink and get the next one for maybe 50% off. The idea behind that one-time offer is to is to get new bums on the seat. And then the other thing that we looked at was an ongoing loyalty rewards program where maybe buy 10 drinks, get the 11th drink for, you know, 50% off as an example. So we built in a sort of ongoing loyalty rewards program as well. They're both optional, but we just figured, you know, during the sign-up process, if we could help support the wineries and the breweries, you know, that's good for them and, and you know, that's good for us. 
And I think, you know, over the last like two or three years, I've just really enjoyed taste, you know, like, like tasting different beers and really exploring what the craft, you know, sort of beer is like. My first introduction to, to craft beer, I think, was an IPA in, in Santa Barbara. And prior to that, you know, in South Africa, I would drink Castle, and that's a Castle, Castle, maybe a black label if I was feeling a bit dangerous. And then, you know, going to Santa Barbara for so many years, I would just have a blonde, I'd have a blonde, I'd have a blonde. And then my girlfriend started drinking IPA. And I had one or two IPAs. And, you know, for the first time, you can actually taste the different flavors. And it just had such a different, I like, sort of body to it. And that sort of got my eyes to twinkle. It, it, you suddenly realize, you know what, like beer doesn't have to taste like cat's piss all the time. There are, you know, there's sort of different things out there. And then specifically uh, where I live, there's a real small brewery owned by, I think, three guys. And they have a sort of rotating, uh, like sort of rotating beers. They, you know, make sort of small batch beers. Myself and my partner went in there. And we had a flight, and that's something I know the South Africans don't do, which I really want to urge you guys to do, but we'll get to that. So we had a flight of, I think, four or five, you know, different sort of samples, and that just really, really opened my eyes. Like, every single beer was so distinctly different and so distinctly flavored, and you could actually taste, the, the, like, the different flavors in the beer. And, uh, I mean, that just opened my mind to, you know, sort of craft beer and IPAs and everything else. Um, and, and, you know, ever since then, it's, um, I've just enjoyed uh, supporting the breweries. I've enjoyed, you know, seeing the, whole, uh, seeing the whole manufacturing process. And, you know, building this app over the last 18 months to, you know, to two years, meeting all the different, you know, brew owners and the different, you know, sort of breweries and the wineries. Um, I just love the industry. I love what they're doing. I love the awareness that they, you know, that they're creating. But just quickly going back to the flights, uh, one thing I have noticed here is there's no breweries that actually offer like like flights of beer, like you know small little samples of maybe uh, you know like four or five different beers. And in the U.S., it is extremely extremely popular because you know many people that are new to the craft industry they're not really too sure what to like or you know sort of what to taste and. Typically, you know, they can, get, they can get a taste of this or a taste of that, but actually offering a flight of, you know, sort of five to seven, you know, small little samples is good for the brewery because, you know, people get to taste, uh, I like all the different kinds, and then it helps the, the, uh, the patron side, you know, to really understand the different flavors, and, you know, the next time they come in, they'll be a bit more clearer in terms of, you know, what they would like. Yeah, I think the, the actual breweries do that. Um, I think the restaurants probably or the bars lesser. So if you go to Stumpner's, you know they'll offer you a flight. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Um, and maybe you were too early yesterday or the day before. Yeah, they got some good beers there, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, very interesting. And so it's all button has been pushed. People can can sign up. Yeah, the button's been pushed. People are going live, um, you know, just going back to the venues. Uh, for the venue to sign up, it'll probably take about five or ten minutes. Okay. You know, once the venues have signed up, then we do a, a you know, um, a sort of social media push. Uh, we do some marketing from our side. And for the users to sign up, again, you sign up through Facebook or through your phone number. Um, you look for your location. You can buy a drink. You can actually even, even crowdfund a drink. So this is a cool concept that... Um, 
you know, what sort of inspired us is, I'm not too sure if you've heard about, you know, like crowdfunding or Kickstarter. Mm. Okay. So, you know, obviously Kickstarter in the US is huge. And yeah. at one stage when I first started the development of this, I was thinking, hey, you know what, maybe to get the initial funds, we can do a Kickstarter campaign. Because typically, with a, like what a lot of apps do is that they do a, a, a Kickstarter campaign because that starts the whole sort of marketing initiative. Yeah. And then that helps engage, you know, the success or the response that they're going to have. So it's like a sort of pre-launch, it's like a free pre-launch, you know, sort of marketing drive that you can do. So while I was exploring this, I thought, oh, no ways, man. We actually want to crowdfund a drink. So uh, within the app, uh, maybe you've just got engaged or maybe it's your birthday or you just got a job promotion or, gosh, anything and everything. You can launch the app. You can take a few pictures. You can put a reason in terms of why somebody should crowdfund you a drink. So, you know, often my dog's just eaten my wallet. I don't have any cash. You know, please, you know, please buy me a drink. Um, so they post a few pictures. That goes out to our entire community. And we have an actual crowdfund feed. So people can scroll through that. And if they're feeling generous, oh, I'm going to buy this guy a drink. Oh, they just got engaged. How cool. I'm going to buy them a bottle of Ovation Pain. Don't even know them. <laughs> well, that's a brilliant idea. Even if it's, I mean, if it's somebody, obviously, that you know, it's even easier to support them. Absolutely. Um, Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Um, what is what is the social um, media URL? Oh, so the website is gado.me, G-Y-D-O, so getyourdrinkon.me. Yeah. If you go to the app stores, just type in gado, G-Y-D-O, which stands for get your drink on, or just do a search for get your drink on. Your and drink you should on. find us either on, on the app store or on the Play Store. And on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook is Gardo, get your drink on. You should be able to find us there somewhere. And there we go. And now we have to have a competition. What's the competition? So I think between the two of us, our listeners should choose either you or me, and they should buy one of us a beer. I concur completely. So which brewery do you want them to buy you a a beer at? At Stumpnose or at Zululand Brewing? Land Brewing in Amshanga. In, in Ishawi at the moment. In Ishawi. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be going up there on Monday anyway, so okay. I, will, I will be there. Okay, but uh, I think I think we need to push this a little bit harder. Um, and can, but we can't buy you a drink in, at the Island Brewing Company, can we? Um, at the moment now, you can't because, strange enough... A little um, bit confused. No, it's not that. Um, Apple Pay is not available here in no. South Africa at the moment. As soon as Apple Pay is available, you'll be able to do it. Absolutely. Okay, that makes it so much easier. Why don't you listeners buy me a drink at Stunt Nose in Kluve? They'll sign up this week or next week and uh, let's have a competition. Let's see. Well, that sounds, that sounds like it's, un, it's an unfair competition. Why don't you rather buy me a drink and then what I will do, because I'm such a kind giving person, I'll take a picture of me having the drink and then I'll send that to you so you can <laughs> at least have a picture of me having a beer on your Well, beer. the chances of you going to a show <laughs> are pretty slim. So I think it's an absolute waste of money. Channels will, will get all the money and you're not going to get your beers. Yeah, so. let me tell you, that's, that Zululand Blonde that he's got, definitely recommend it. I've, <laughs> I've had a good few of those while I've been here. Yeah, so Zululand Blonde has opened a brew, a brew pub thingy in Umshlanga, so well worth a visit. But the original is in Ishawi. And Stump Nose is a new tap room in Kloof, in the heart of Kloof, in the village centre. Very nice little, quaint little tap room. First time that we have anything like that on the upper highway area, and I'm very excited for them. 
You know what? I agree, and I'm just thinking now. Robson Spiri down on the point road is uh, down on on a point road. They should be signing up in the next uh, in in the next two or three days. Yeah. Um, so that is a great place as well. You can certainly buy me a drink there. They got some great beers. And I tell you the thing about Robson's Brewery. Um, I don't know if you've been there, but yes. the labels that they've got are just absolutely fascinating. Like literally every label, it's actually got a story. So with that said. Uh, part of our sort of marketing and uh, our sort of marketing initiatives over the next six months is going to be uh, the story behind the label, and we're going to start doing spotlights on all these different, on all these like different wine labels and you know different brewery labels because they are also, I mean there's there's a story behind every single label, and. Uh, you know, as I was speaking to Don, he was like he was going through these stories of the different labels, like absolutely magnificent. So, for those of you that haven't been to uh, that haven't been to Robson's Brewery down on Point Road, definitely suggest uh, going there. Um, they got some great beer as well, and uh, the labels are absolutely fantastic. And they must buy you a drink. Absolutely. There you go. Unfair advantage. Now you've got uh, two places to go to. But anyway, thanks. Ryan, thanks for coming and for contacting us, for reaching out to us. And I hope that we can really get your message out and we can get lots of free beers. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, if you haven't downloaded the app, download the app, crowdfund a drink. Um, I'm pretty... Um, I like to fund people's drinks. It's pretty cool for me. There's yeah. a nice dopamine release there. Good. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Abe. I'll speak to you soon.